Welcome to another episode of True Wisdom. Andrew and I are here to break down God's Word. His Word can never be broken, but we can do a good job of trying to explain what we're reading and where each text ties into another text to reinforce. This is what Andrew has been talking to about Bible principles. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome, Robert, and welcome all those who are listening. So, why are we doing this podcast, True Wisdom? What is the importance of true wisdom? <laughs> because there's a lot of false wisdom. In fact, there are so many things that are false. It's not funny. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. So again, we see, using all that parallelism, that righteousness and wisdom are tied together, tree of life tied together. Okay, our verse, our theme verse, Proverbs 9, 9, and 10, give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 9, 9, and 10. Excellent, excellent. Um, so let's go ahead. You can start with prayer, and then we will jump right into our discussion of the day. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the privilege we have of studying your word. We want to thank you for the richness of your scriptures. We ask you to give us wisdom now as we get into it. We pray also that those who are hearing will be granted wisdom to understand it dealing with deep topics from your word, and we just pray that you will enlighten us and help us to rightly divide your words of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what is our topic for today? We have an interesting topic today. Um, it's short, but I don't know that the conversation will be short. So maybe they'll offset each other. Hebrews chapter 1. Whole chapter of Hebrews. All right. 1. Mm-hmm. We'll bring up Hebrews chapter 1. This discussion is about the Godhead. There are lots and lots and lots of discussions about the Godhead these days. And lots of people have all sorts of interesting views. And I think this is one of the topics where people are willing to pick their favorite three verses and ignore everything else. And I don't know if it's because those were the first three verses they saw or that's all that they can accept. Whatever the reasoning is, there are people who try to understand the Godhead in light of humanity. And that is a mistake. One of the things that we need to understand when we study the Word of God, we need to look, we need to accept the Word of God as it is. The Word of God is going to be consistent with itself. And if we have a difficulty understanding, if something is plain in terms of it says what it says, and you just can't really rationalize it, you have to be willing to accept it by faith and pray that God will give you understanding which may come through learning more stuff or having something finally click for you. But we must absolutely not come to the Word of God and apply and take our preconceived notions and mold and fashion the Word of God to them. 
Absolutely not. Especially of any topics that we're dealing with, if we're dealing with the divine, you absolutely cannot do that. All right. Definitely. So we're at Hebrews chapter 1. And as normal, we'll read from the King James Version. God, who at sundry times and in divers manner spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Okay, pause a second. Now, another note. We understand that Hebrews was written by Paul. There are some scholars who disagree, but if you've read enough of Paul's writing, you know that this is written by Paul. Okay? Um, that's one. Two, Paul has long sentences. The first four verses are one sentence. Mm-hmm. And there are a few sentences that are pretty decent. And then you have from 10 to 12, that's another sentence. They're long sentences, so we may end up stopping between sentences. But I want you to see something important. The subject of this, of this verse so far, this chapter, is the Father. In the New Testament, it's a little bit different between Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, the term God is usually um, provided, sometimes Lord God, sometimes Lord, but it always means the same person, right? It always means the same person, and it means the, the, the person who is God in the Old Testament, contrary to most people's understanding, is the Son. It is the Son who is doing all sorts of things. And in fact, we'll prove that a little bit here. Um, the Son sometimes references the Father. You have to pay attention, and we'll, we'll, do a, a specific, um, we'll do a specific presentation for that. So I'm not going to get into it too deep now, or we'll be here for a long time. But essentially, in the Old Testament, the oneness of God is way more apparent. In the New Testament, whenever you see the word God, almost always means the Father. If you see Lord, almost always means the Son. Okay? So this started with God, da-da-da-da, spoken to us by his Son. And so now we're going to see a number of things about the Son. And importantly, at the end of verse 2, it says that he appointed the son heir of all things, and it is by the son that God made the world. Okay? With an S. And that's to be pointed out. With an S. Yeah, that's true. That is to be pointed out. So verse okay. three. So the who begins verse three is the son. Right. So we, we transitioned right from the right. subject of God to the son. Right. <clears throat> who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had made by himself purged, excuse me, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Okay, pause a second. This verse is profound. We can, do, we can do lots and lots of discussion on it. But in verse 3, we see that Christ is the brightness of the Father's glory, and he is the express image 
of his person. In the Caribbean, you would say the spitting image, mm -hmm. right? He's the express image. We are made in the image of God, but even Adam in perfection was never called the express image of his person. Mm -hmm. Okay? Upholding all things by the word of his power. And, and when he... Mm -hmm. Go ahead. When he had by himself purged our sin. Very interesting. Well, you know, I don't even want to skip over um, the word of his power. We aren't made with the mm -hmm. same power that Jesus was. And it's, it's profound to think, because a lot of times we do sit and we try to figure out, was Christ there from the very beginning? Mm. Well, we'll get the answer in this chapter. Mm -hmm. So okay. verse 5. Four. Well, before you do that one, before mm -hmm. you do that one, verse four is actually profound too. Being, being made so much better than the angels. Now mm -hmm. we have to be careful with that because the being made seems to imply some sort of creation. Mm -hmm. But this book, Hebrews, is about the Son of God in the incarnation. Well, not not only in the incarnation, but it really gets into the incarnation. Hebrews, if you look at it, especially if you have a Bible that has little subtitles, Hebrews is. Here's how Christ is better than the angels. Here's how Christ is better than Moses. Here's how Christ is better than the Levites. Here's how Christ's priestly ministry is better than the Levitical priestly ministry. Here's how Christ's sacrifice is better than the animal sacrifice. It's just Christ is better. If you wanted to title this book differently, Christ is better. And it goes through the whole, um, all of the chapters focused on that. So the being made so much better than angels is talking about the incarnation because he took on a role and responsibility and birth that is not something you need to do as a divine entity. Mm. So you don't get um, fixated on the word made. You're looking well, It's not more... that I don't get fixated. No, I'm it. saying from, the, from mm. the standpoint of created. You're not looking at the maid as a created, but the maid as in position and status. In in it wasn't the forming as in the making of a statue or a car or something of that nature. Well, I would I would hesitate on that. There is something about the incarnation, that's why it's called the mystery of the incarnation, that is really hard to explain mm -hmm. because God became flesh, right? So. It's okay if you say that Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, born of a woman, was made. Because there are other verses that Paul talks about, made of a woman, made under the law. There is a way in which made applies when you consider the incarnation. Okay. Okay. So on to verse 5. On to verse 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now those were two questions. I didn't actually those are two read questions. them as questions. But the those first are one two you got, questions. the second one tripped you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, not, so, go ahead. So go ahead. he is, uh, what Paul is saying is, the relationship is distinct between mm -hmm. God and Jesus as opposed mm -hmm. to God and the angels. 
Right. Verse five is a is a, a um, verse five is a clarification and expansion of verse four. Right. On verse four, he makes an assertion, and in verse five, he proves it. So he says he says that Christ was made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than the, than they. Now remember, um, Peter talks about the fact in Acts four twelve that there's none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, right? The name of Jesus is this awesome name. And he gets that name through the incarnation. So he's, he has obtained a more excellent name than they. I mean, he had an awesome name to begin with, but now he's obtained one that's even greater. And then Paul proves it by saying, when did God ever say to any of the angels, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Mm-hmm. And again, when did he ever say, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son? Which is still has me scratching my head, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, because of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Th- there's a lot that's implicitly said in this. I will be mm-hmm. to him a father. Was that mm-hmm. prior to his being? Was that <laughs> as he was being? You know, there's, there's so much that one sentence. Yes. Here's, here's an important knowledge. This is good that you mentioned this here. This is something that we wrestle with. This is, a, this is where lots of debates in Christianity take place. This is why the divinity of Christ is sometimes questioned. This is why the sonship of Christ is sometimes made to exist in a way that, create, that makes the father-son relationship mimic a human father-human son. Okay? And the reason that it can't, and the reason I think, the reason I always get back to, my son is clearly my son because I, I have lived longer than he has. But, but the nature of a father-son relationship, which I'm not denying, the nature of a father-son relationship when both are divine and eternal must of necessity be different than a human father-son relationship. Well, you must see, of necessity. I hesitate to say this on this podcast, not because my word mm-hmm. carries any huge weight, but the purpose of this is really not for us to uh, talk about what we feel the Bible says, but really to mm-hmm. just state what the Bible says. But I think the father-son relationship we have on earth is a mimic or Mm -hmm. is it's not, it cannot be perfectly explained by what they have because we have sin. We have so many other issues and we're different beings than they are, but it's the best. Yeah, let's take sin out of the picture. Yeah, it's the best relationship that God can use to describe that relationship is what we understand. <laughs> He's explaining right. to us yeah. in a way we understand it. Yeah, take, take sin out of the picture. Imagine that Adam has, has Abel in the garden. I can't even say Cain. I, I don't, you know, imagine that Adam has Abel in the garden when they're in there. Of necessity, Adam is older than Abel. Mm-hmm. Right? But the father and the son are identical. Here's the other thing. In verse 5, he says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Mm-hmm. So obviously, God said that. That means that the begottenness, which we emphasize so much, that the begottenness of the son has a time-specific component. Yes. Okay? Now, 
people are going to argue. They'll argue, oh, he was begotten in eternity. Okay? Here's the thing, though. When did Christ die on the cross? About how long ago? Uh, a bit over 2,000 some odd years ago. Agreed. Um, no, not quite. Not quite 2,000 years. It would be 2,000 years in 2031. Ah, that's right. 31. It would be exactly 2,000 well, years right, in 2031. Oh yeah, no, we know we know that you know we know the calendar from there. Right, but his exactly his his done. birth was around. Uh, it wasn't exactly BC. at zero, correct? It wasn't exactly right. at zero. It was about four-ish BC, right. right? So, so here's the thing, right? Revelation speaks very heavily about Christ being the Lamb of God, being the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, correct? Mm. Okay. So, because God has purposed to do something, and because he is committed to it, in some ways, it has happened. In other ways, in the intersection with humanity, there is a linear component because we are linear. Mm. But in God's realm, the commitment to it is complete, and therefore, it was done since before the foundation of the world. Those two things are true because we're talking about the deity. And we need to understand and appreciate that. So it is entirely possible for, for God to represent himself and to God to represent the son as being begotten in eternity while the begetting takes place in a linear way for us. Both can be true. Mm-hmm. Right? Both can be true. It's not for us to try and work that out. Like, just accept what's presented. When it comes to God, there are many things in the Bible. This is another point I want to make. When it comes to dealing with the Godhead and who and how God works, there are plenty of things in salvation. There are plenty of things in the gospel. There are plenty of doctrines that were given a series of things, a series of information, various points and counterpoints, and we can weigh them against each other and say, okay, because God does this, because such and such happens, baptism is essential to um, repentance and forgiveness and, the, and, and all this kind of stuff. You can look at these things and analyze them and say X, Y, and Z. When it comes to the Godhead, all we can do is thus saith the Lord. The Lord says, this is how I am, this is how I behave, this is how I think. And, that's, and those are the answers. You can't be, well... Since God thinks like that, therefore, there is no therefore. You have no means, I have no means of understanding God beyond what he explicitly says that he does. God says he cannot lie. That's a really strange sentence, right? God says he cannot lie. He doesn't say he does not lie. He says he cannot lie. He's the all-powerful God, and he says, I cannot lie. Who am I to argue with him and try and rationalize against other things? I can't. He says he cannot lie. And that's what I have to accept because he's telling me something about himself that I have no means of finding out in any other way. And actually, I think that's a direct revelation. I think that's an easy one. A being who can create anything with his words can't lie because his words would create whatever he's saying. But no, I I get your point. I get your point. A lot of times we approach our walk with Christ as an intellectual one, where if Mm -hmm. I can figure out what 
if I can figure out something no one else has figured out, I'm assured of my place in heaven. I can go before my men. Listen, follow what I say because I've figured this thing out. But that's Mm -hmm. not what the relationship is about. You can come to a better understanding of who God is through studying your Bible. But we don't have the mental capacity to fully understand who God or Jesus is outside of what's written in the Bible, unless mm-hmm. he comes and reveals something to us directly. So, and, mm-hmm. and go ahead, no, say it. Say the caveat. <laughs> no, and, and even then, we would have to accept exactly what he, you couldn't take it to, to do anything else with it other than say, oh, now I get this first. Right. Right? That, that, that'd be the most that you would end up being able to do. It's not, it's not like when we get prophecy and we see something in the verse, you're like, ah, this clicks. So this over here means such and right, such. And therefore, right. yeah, there are no and therefore with God. Yeah, you're, you're not going and, to and learn. Who he is. You're not, you're not going to learn something new that's not in the Bible. We have right. to understand and accept that. That your study should lead you closer to who God is, but it's not going to be a revelation that knocks everybody off their feet and you have something that nobody else has access to. Nope. Nope. Okay, so now we're going to get to some fun verses. All right, we're at six. And Mm -hmm. again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So we know that the angels are not flesh and blood. We right. know that they're a different order of creation. Right. Okay. Verse 8, and unto Verse the eight. son he saith, thy throne. No, 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 don't say, don't say and, don't say and. I did say and, don't. didn't I? I was looking mm-hmm, at verse mm-hmm. 7, so verse 7 starts uh-huh. and. Verse 8 mm-hmm. is, but unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Who is speaking in verse 8? God. Okay, we can rule out the Son as speaking because it says, but unto the Son, mm-hmm. he saith. And it's not Paul speaking so, or the writer speaking. And it's not, absolutely, it's not the writer speaking. So here it is that the Father says of the Son, thy throne, O God, mm-hmm. is forever. Powerful. The Father calls the Son God. Powerful Why stuff. do we ever argue about this? Why do we argue about the divinity of Christ? When this specific verse, when this specific verse calls it out in a way that is incredible. Yeah. Okay? Let's, let's go, because nine, nine, <laughs> he thought it was bad before. Okay, so uh, just, let's do eight again, and then you can go into nine. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of the gladness above thy fellows. Okay. So, God has God, like the Father of the Son is also seen as God Mm -hmm. through the Son. Not just... Now, when, when my children were growing up, 
my wife and I always called ourselves mommy and daddy in their presence when we were speaking to each other to encourage them to think of us as mommy and daddy and not as Andrew and Shondell. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we always did that, but that's not what I see here. Like it's possible that that's there, but that doesn't give me, I don't see that automatically. In fact, in fact, I'm going to, um, I'm going to read something for you <laughs> that is interesting. In the, in the message to the Church of Philadelphia, in Revelation chapter 3, mm-hmm. okay? I'm going to start at verse 12, because verse 12 has it. This is Christ speaking speaking to the church of Philadelphia. And here's what Christ says. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Mm-hmm. And he shall go out, go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, therefore God... Even thy God hath anointed Mm -hmm. thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's so much wrapped up in there. First, the father calls the son God, and then he Mm -hmm. says, your God Mm -hmm. has anointed thee. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. that's first person, third person, first person. Um, It's Mm -hmm. all in there. Now, look at verse 10 mm-hmm. and remember verse 2. We're going to take a peek at it. Verse 10, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hand. Whose hand? Thy hand. That would be the Son. So the Father says that the Son did the work. Yeah, but that- in verse 2... The Father appointed the Son heir of all things, and it is through the Son that the Father made all the world. We do not rightfully understand how the Godhead works. And instead of looking at what we are told verbatim in order to operate better in this life, we try to make God out of our own weakness. And we create chaos in the Godhead and, and then seek to to strip out the elements of the Godhead in order that it might make more sense to us. We should not be measuring God by our, our frailty or, or finite mind. Yes, that is definitely a, um, a failing of humanity. Even us who believe we understand something greater. I mean, if you look at Genesis 1.1, and then compare mm-hmm. that to uh, John one one. Mm-hmm. The, there has to be, and then you compare it to this, and then you compare it to David. David uh, when he talks about who formed the heavens. Mm-hmm. There should be. We we should have less issue with just accepting 
that we don't fully understand. We don't understand how things were created. We talk about but, the creation but, week, but mm-hmm. the earth wasn't created in the creation week. That's correct. But we don't often see that. No, because, we, and we've spoken about this several times on the, on the program. We have preconceived notions. We bring them to the idea and we fight what we see in the Bible with what we've already accepted somewhere else without proof. And we allow the written word to be overridden by the mem- the, our, our faulty memories. Mm-hmm. Okay? Well, with our faulty memories. The, the Bible is clear. We would have less trouble understanding the Godhead if A, we didn't try to understand beyond what he's written, and B, we accepted what was written as point blank. And when you find two things that, that don't seem to match up, like for instance, the son also being God and having a God, Okay, that's how it works. <laughs> yes, right? that's it. That's think just about how, how it easy is. your brain is. That's how it works. The son can call the father God as well as calling him father, and there's no problem. And guess what? That's how it works. And, you, and what, what would be the basis? You can't look around anywhere else in the universe and say, well, that's not how it works with X, Y, Z. There are no deities anywhere else in the universe to compare this with. Right. I think people also get tripped up sometimes when Jesus said... No man mm-hmm. knows the day nor the hour, but he said, but oh, we my could, father. We, we have a program. Yes. But we, but, and we need to do a, a program on that because, because the short answer is the word no is different than people expect in that sentence. Mm. Mm. Well, that's something we're going to so, have to dive into. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to do it. All right. What verse am I up to? Verse 11. Mm-hmm. They shall... Oh. Yes, yep. they shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. He's talking about the works of his hand. Mm-hmm. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Mm-hmm. But to which of the angels saith he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heir of salvation? Wow, Let me that's tell you powerful. Something else. That's verse 14 it is powerful. Is powerful. It is powerful. Do you want to know what book is quoted the most in this passage here? Isaiah? Nope. No? Nope. Which one? Go to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. All right. Ah, even from verse 1. Mm-hmm. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Mm-hmm. Okay, and elsewhere he's going to quote, later in Hebrews he's going to quote verse 4. Mm-hmm. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. Chizedek, so, Chizedek. Usually the CH is pronounced as C only. But um so here's the, you know, in terms of practicality, what does this mean for us? Okay. Well, I mean it's all summed up in verse 14. And I think we get lost. The point I see, and you, mm-hmm. you know, let me know if I'm wrong, but the point I see is. It's pointing to Jesus. Pointing mm-hmm. to Jesus' 
affinity, and that's even a weak word to use, but relation to God. Mm-hmm. Because these people didn't, the people he was writing to were struggling with who Jesus was. Mm-hmm. So he's pointing them to the relation to God, who they knew. They knew who God was because that's who they were taught about. So now the relationship to God is pointed out. And he's saying, this Jesus is considered higher than the angels. The angels who were created to minister to you, who is going to benefit from Jesus' relationship to the Father, which I'm pointing Mm -hmm. out to you. So it's Mm -hmm. the power of that relationship and then Jesus dying for us on the benefit of that relationship. This is a person who created the universe, who died for Mm -hmm. us. So you can be comfortable in your salvation because this is what you were promised, because of this relationship. That's so, it's, it's powerful. We have to accept that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want the, the key for us, especially when it deals with the Godhead, okay? People have all these theories and, and suppositions and this whole calculus that they have, okay? The, the God, the Bible. The Bible may be a big old calculus book with all sorts of formulas and things that you need to work out. But when you start, there are some suppositions you need to work with. And they are everything that pertains to God is a supposition that the Bible gives you. Mm. We have no means of deducing God. Who, by searching, can find out God? No one, no one. So God has to reveal specific things about himself to us. And those are given. And no matter how anything looks and how weird it is, those are given. When you, when you look at the book of Job, when you look at the book of Job, one of the problems that his friends have is that they are supposing that God acts certain ways because of X, Y, and Z. And he's like, eh, yeah. I know who God is. Yeah. And, and, and what you're saying doesn't make sense, especially since I know you believe that God would only act this way. However, God has certainly allowed this to happen. And I know that I haven't done this other thing. So there's a, defe- there's a deficiency in what you're saying, right? Their idea was, well, you must have done that. And he's like, no, I know two facts. I know about God and I know about this thing. And I need to understand what is happening. Right? And that, I and, need to understand. And that is one of the reasons why God was so angry with them. He, they were defaming his character. They didn't yes. know who he was, but they were definitively yes. stating what God would and would not do. Yes. It's like the... Now, it's... it's mm-hmm. And I... I it's like the people when someone suffers a loss in their family, and all mm-hmm. that the people can think to say is to quote, "The Lord giveth uh, and the Lord taketh away." Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's I you misunderstanding. To... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just got to leave that alone. There, there are certain things that you have to leave alone. Um, check this out. Go to Isaiah forty-eight. Isaiah 48. Okay. And you're going to read verses 16 and 17. And this, this 
when I first saw this passage, blew my mind. But in light of everything that we've read, look at verses 16 and 17. Come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, and from the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God and his Spirit hath sent me. Thus saith mm-hmm. the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Okay. Okay. According to verse 17, who is speaking? That's a... Mm. And leadeth thee by the way thou shalt go. Well, let's see. Look at the first part of the verse instead. Thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, that would be Jesus. Okay, good. So Christ is speaking. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, understanding Christ speaking, verse 17, read verse 16 again and tell me who you see in that verse. Come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I have not mm-hmm. spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, there am I. And now the okay, Lord... Okay, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? It, from... See, I'm thinking back to Moses when he mentioned I am. So, and th- this is for our listeners, the, the term I am means self-existing one. Mm-hmm. From the very beginning. Eter- eternal. Always existed. Okay. <laughs> so Christ speaking says, from the time that it was, there am I. Okay. And now, now the, the Lord, last part. Yeah, now the Lord God and his spirit hath sent me. What does that say to you? <laughs> it's, it's the group decided that Jesus must go. There we go. And people don't get this. Here, here we have the Father and the Spirit sent the Son. After the mission on earth, the Father and the Son send the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Nobody sends the Father anywhere. But he goes okay. because it's all, it's, yes, it's confusing. If you try to rationalize well, it, 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 your brain will first fracture. But it's only, here's the thing, though. It's confusing to us because of what we have allowed ourselves to believe as to be normal. What, what, what the Godhead shows us is that you can balance equality and hierarchy with no contradiction. There is a hierarchy in the Godhead. Three eternal persons who have rank and are not annoyed by the fact that they have rank. And they work together. And they do things with two or three witnesses. The Father and the Spirit send the Son, which means that the Father and the Spirit are unique entities. Mm-hmm. And then the Father and the Son send the Spirit which means that all three parties are unique entities and nobody has a problem. And the son and the spirit petition the father Mm -hmm. and everybody is comfortable with the role that they have and, and their responsibilities, their responsibility and everything. We don't, you know, so people will ask you questions like, well, why three? Who can answer that? It's three. That's what they tell us. There's no why. 
They didn't need four, and they needed one more than two. That's what. what they, they, but it's, I don't even. I don't even go that. I, I don't know. Even go I know. There. I'm just. I, I realized. I know you weren't being, you know, direct and straightforward about it. But it's it's not something to be discussed, disputed, or deduced. We're told that it's three, mm-hmm. and that's what it is, and that they're eternal, and that's what it is. And why there is no answer to that. Because they just told us what we could deal with or what they wanted us to deal with. That's what we did. Mm. Oh, man. Uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and close this out. I mean, we could literally go, as you said earlier, we can go for a while on this. because Aren't you glad it was only 14 verses? <laughs> but it's, it's powerful, and you read it. Really if you read it with an open mind, without preconceived notions, you'll do better off. You yes. will do better off. So let's pray, right. Lord. And Lord, I pray that we can appreciate what was written here. We can appreciate the fact that we don't understand. And our understanding is not necessary for salvation. It's, it's incumbent upon us to believe and behave in a way which shows we believe. And everything beyond that is you. You strengthen us. You keep us. And we pray that all who listen, including ourselves who are speaking, We'll just believe, accept and believe. And in that way, we enable ourselves to be, to be opened to the rest of your word, which draws us nearer to you. We thank you for this. We thank you for verse 14, which points out our salvation. We're heirs to the salvation. There's no restriction to that. We are heirs to the salvation because of what you've designed. Help us to just believe in what you've designed. Be with all of us, all of those who are listening. Amen. Wow. Well, listen, if you have questions about this, feel free to ask. We're just going to send you more Bible text because I'm not so <laughs> sure we can explain it any better than the Bible does. So, no, you will have to give them John 1, 1 through 3, Colossians 1, 16 through 18. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be more text. Yeah, editor put that in, in on the web page. So uh, write to us, truewisdom at spaceage-llc.com. Tweet to us, uh, truewisdom underscore pod. And feel free to reach out to us with any questions or comments. Any closing thoughts, Andrew? Um, Some of these we cover at biblestudy.asbzone.com as well. So look forward. We're going to link them in the passage. Uh, But I want to close with the thing that you said that's really important. Understanding the Godhead is not essential to our salvation. Accepting the Godhead is. That's it. That's it. (laughs) Thank you, and we pray you all will be blessed.